0: Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. Today, we're going really far back in time.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Further back than that... further back in time than that. In fact, this will probably be my oldest story yet, as we're heading to the early Middle Ages. Bordering on its western boundary of the Bristol semi-ring road, the village of Pucklechurch forms a large eastern cluster of development, on a raised area of land in the parish, the northern half of which has 14 listed buildings, including the church. Overall, it's a well-preserved, lovely little village with a range of housing in different styles of architecture and date. It is situated in the Berkeley division of the county on the old Roman road to Bath. Puckle Church is celebrated in the pages of history for a large and handsome palace, which once existed within its boundaries was occupied by the Saxon king, Edmund I. The remains of his royal residence were visited by Sir B. Atkins, the county historian. Since his day, however, the main walls have been largely used for building purposes, and the foundations are quite faint. From its connection with the history of this building, Pucklechurch possesses a melancholy and romantic interest in the eyes of historians. Eleven centuries ago, this was the site of an event which is marked in the pages of history as affecting the lineal descent of the reigning monarch of these realms. But though its memory remains, ever the traces of the palace have disappeared.
1: A farmhouse has been erected on a large portion of its site, and the former size of the building is only gleaned from the extent of the traceable mounds, and the appearances of heaps of stones and rubbish just covered under the surface of the ground. Ah, where is now its boasted beauty fled? Proud turrets that once glittered in the sky And broken columns in confusion spread A rude, misshapen heap
0: of ruins lie This just in, with the easing of Covid restrictions A new restaurant has opened in the centre of Bristol It's called Karma There's no menu, you get what you deserve. In the Anglo-Saxon era, in the year 942, Edmund I, often called Edmund the Magnificent or Edmund the Elder, a prince of very amiable qualities for that rather savage age, and one among the early Saxon converts to Christianity, was crowned at Kingston-upon-Thames. He was the son of the West Saxon king Edward the Elder, who reigned from 899 to 924, and the half-brother of King Athelstan, who reigned from 924 to 939, under whom the political unification of England had been accomplished The powers who were then at war with him were the Danes, Scots and Britons. The first of these perpetrated daring outrages upon his people. One Dane in particular called Loaf, a man of considerable influence in the Danish camp, pillaged and murdered without mercy wherever he went, so that his name was a terror to all the inhabitants. His repeated acts of cruelty aroused the attention and indignation of King Edmund, who offered a handsome reward to any person who would capture him. Fortunately, after Leif attacked a cottage near York, one of the inhabitants fled to the nearest large city and informed a portion of the garrisoned army on duty, who rushed to the spot and found the robber in the midst of his nefarious practice. He was brought before the king who, after chastising him for his lawless career, sentence him to perpetual banishment, with the addition that if he was ever found within the precincts of his dominion, it would be lawful for any one of his subjects to put him to death. As soon as his sentence was pronounced, Loaf stretched out his arm in a defying attitude to the utmost extent that his massive chains would permit, and in a fiendish voice, declared to the king,
1: Proud monarch, that sentence has sealed thy fate. Though now in exile yet, Mark, we shall one day meet again. And then, while I haunt thy ears with the cry of revenge, thy life shall
0: At that moment he was dragged away and was guarded constantly, till he was shipped off to a distant land. Loaf never ceased, even when in exile in a foreign land, to declare his deadly hatred towards a king, who had so justly punished him. Every day, he would shout out.
1: I cannot arm one soldier in my cause, but I can send the human passions forth, ambition, hate, revenge, to work my will and strike in place of justice.
0: Now, with Loaf banished... And the rival powers subdued peace was restored to a long troubled land in this interval the king and his subjects alike devoted themselves to improving the legislative government public buildings and the literature of the land the monarch who lived in the hearts of his people revived the celebration of feast days which although they perpetrated superstition and in some case quite a lot of drunken behavior They brought together all social classes as the king, the nobility and the poorest peasant all sat together at one table, enhancing that feeling of community and oneness. One of the most celebrated and extensive of these feasts was that held to commemorate St Augustine and in 948 the king decided that it should be celebrated at the spacious and noble Anglo-Saxon palace at Pucklechurch, the anniversary of the feast that year was on March the 26th, and it was honoured by His Majesty in person at various events comprising of all ranks and callings, the rich, the poor, and the pilgrim. The medieval chronicler William of Malmesbury described the events in such detail. The celebration of the feast started with the ringing of the first morning vesper bell. It was continued throughout the day, many more people arrived from distant parts, and the Great Hall of Pucklechurch Palace presented a scene of hilarity and mirth.
1: Book of the Week
0: This week I give you the book called A Potted History of the Anglo-Saxon Kings, England's Early Rulers. Jerry MacGyver The age of the Anglo-Saxons was barbaric and treacherous, from Egbert in 802 right through to Harold II, getting an arrow through his eye in 1066. A huge 22 individual kings ruled either some or all of the Anglo-Saxon world. Compare this with the modern period, when there has been nine British monarchs since George II ascended to the throne in 1760. This gives you some idea of the instability Anglo-Saxon kings had to contend with. As you read through this short history book of the Anglo-Saxon kings, you will see that despite them belonging to another time and place, in terms of their personalities and traits, they are no different to modern leaders. Some are vain and self-serving, while others are strong and inspirational. One thing all the Anglo-Saxon kings do have in common, though, is character. This glorious Saxon feast in honour of St.
1: Augustine was featured in a poem by Alexander Smith. The lordliest game of forest and of hill made that board paradise within whose smell the phoenix appetite divinely died into a rarer life, sheep, steer and boar and stags that on the mountain took the dawn higher rising splendour of the mist were plenteous there and seated high, mid torches' glare and glimmer, minstrels sang, mailed gods of war, grim giants, kings who walked in the grey dawn and morning light of time, statured like towers, kings whose huge bulks of bone, unmolested, yet are seen in twilight caves. Like some old galley, with its sea-worn ribs, half sunk in ancient sands. And while they sung of blazoned banners streaming on the wind, of arrows splintering on the brazen breast, swords red from point to hilt of trumpets blown, shred armor, floundering horses, miss of men. The hail of battle burned in every eye. Shouts burst from bearded lip, bedrenched with mead, swords and cuirasses rusting on the wall, clattered as life were in them. So the feast, led by the minstrel's scaling voice and hands, in fury, among the harp strings, roared till dawn. Let through a loophole, fell on torches burned, the upset goblets of the deep debauch. Lords tumbled on the rushes.
0: As the end of the celebration drew near, it was time for the king as president to give the crowning toast of the feast to the immortal saint augustine the torches were freshly trimmed so that there would be more than enough light to see him whilst he makes his speech the king filled the goblet to overflowing he raised it in the air and everyone present did the same they were all anxiously awaiting the signal for the name of the saint from the lips of their beloved monarch The king had raised the goblet, but it never reached his lips. He stood, motionless as a statue. A death-like sensation ran through the whole assembly. The immediate attendants of the monarch were paralysed at this sudden change, and none had the courage or presence of mind to inquire what was the cause. The silence was broken by the king in a trembling voice, exclaiming,
1: Seize him! Seize
0: him! and at the same time pointing to one of the guests, who was seated alone at the extreme top of the table. An officer immediately obeyed the summons and proceeded towards a man pointed out, but when he tried to capture him, he was struck and fell to the floor. The king immediately rushed from his chair to the head of the table, seized the stranger and dragged him by the hair of his head. He had, however, no sooner captured his prey, when the prisoner, with a demonical air, exclaimed...
1: Ah, have we met again? Revenge!
0: And as he was talking, he thrust a dagger into the king's heart. And before rescue could come, the king was dead. After the initial shock, when the crowd came to their senses, they seized the murderer of their king. And when the torches had become collected and his rather shabby disguise removed, they were surprised to see the banished traitor and robber, Loaf, before them. I'll leave you to imagine Loaf's fate, when the realisation that their beloved king was dead. Being in a room full of drunken enemies, Loaf didn't stand a chance, and it wasn't long before he too was a lifeless corpse. Thus perished in the twenty-fourth year of his age and the sixth of his reign, King Edmund I First. King of England, who is buried now in Glastonbury Abbey. The murdered monarch had previously given the manor of Pucklechurch as an endowment to Glastonbury Abbey. Edward's sons were too young to rule, so Edmund was succeeded instead by his brother, Edred, who was, in turn, succeeded by Edmund's sons, Edwig and Edgar. Behind Pucklechurch's Star Inn is said to be the site of the ancient royal palace. And legend says when the palace was taken apart, some of the stones were later used to make the starry in, in Pucklechurch. I did walk around the area whilst I was doing research for this particular show, and I found part of an old moat, but it's not necessarily discernible, but was shown on an ordnance survey map. Hello, everybody. How you doing today? My name is Michael Rocco. My name is Raf
1: Stitt. And who are we, Raf? We are the host of Straight to DVD. We are a film review joker memeing podcast that's who we are Hell yeah that's what we do
0: this is who we are this is what we do come listen to us you can find us on instagram at straight to dvd pod that's the number two you can also find us on apple music and spotify where else can they find us Raf?
1: they can find us wherever they find podcasts wherever you listen whether it's like you said apple spotify maybe google play twitter uh, they can find us on twitter uh same handle at straight to dvd pod fantastic you can follow the two of us on instagram michael what's your handle at michael underscore rocco underscore at raf stitt all one word we uh we hope you come come join us for some movie chatter some banter hopefully some laughs hopefully hopefully yeah that's about it that's, that's it, it. I, there's nothing else for us to tell you that's all we've got so uh we hope to uh see y'all soon check us out goodbye goodbye Back in the Day Facts.
0: So let's start off with May 1st, 1957, when the Duchess of Kent opened the new Bristol Airport that replaced the original civil airport at Whitchurch. On the 2nd of May, 1955, public broadcasting on very high frequencies, or VHF, began in the UK. And on the 3rd of May, 1788, Britain's first daily evening newspaper, The Star and Evening Advertiser, was launched. On the 4th of May, in 1904, Charles Rolls and Henry Royce signed an agreement in Manchester to set up the Rolls-Royce Motor Company. Also on the 5th of May, in 1962, the West Side Story soundtrack album goes number one and stays number one for 54 weeks, which is more than 20 weeks longer than any other album. And lastly, on the 6th of May, 1889, the Exposition Universale, or World's Fair, in Paris opens, with the recently completed Eiffel Tower serving as the entrance arch. Before I go, I just wanted to share this amazing story I found on my research travels. It's about a Bristol boy called Edward Smart. But it starts off with another boy called Brentry, aged 11 years, who was sculling a small rowing boat across the Bristol Harbour. Suddenly the oar jumped the rowlock and the lad lost control of it. He tried to catch it again but missed his footing and fell overboard. He was about in the centre of the harbour when Edward Smart was passing at the time and seeing Brentry in desperate plight he ran to the water's edge and throwing off his coat and boots jumped into the water and swam to the drowning lad he reached Brentry just as he was sinking for the third time and caught hold of him under his arms. Smart was not a big lad and by this time he was almost exhausted, but he still managed to hold on to Brentry for another five minutes till he had somewhat recovered. Then he started for the shore and by strenuous efforts finally succeeded in bringing Brentry to the bottom of the steps where a gentleman who was passing helped both rescuer and rescued out of the water. Fortunately, neither boy was worse for their dunking, and after a short time, both were able to walk home. Edward Smart, who was under 16 years of age at the time, lived at 12 Elton Terrace, Bishopston, and was working for a Mr. Wright, architect of Baldwin Street. He only began swimming that summer, and said that he had never yet been able to swim the length of the Royal Baths in Kingsdown. He was praised highly for his instinct of saving another life. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. And a huge thank you has to go out to the real stars who are Marcus K.P. and Henry Arnold from Bradley Stoke Radio as well as Joe Wilson and Sam Vernon from St. Stephen's Drama Group right here in Bristol. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and and a capital uk or alternatively you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk by the way the tune in the background that's by the model folk you can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com so thank you so much for listening and until next time guys take care and look after each other